the subject for the evening talk is the incomprehensible. seems that one of the uh, distinguishing features of our society, our culture, is the tremendous amount of faith that it exercises uh, in the brain. That it has an extraordinary confidence that the uh, use of the brain is the instrument, almost the single instrument, to solve the problems of the world, the problems of social, political, economic life, and that our duty in life is to find ways and means to manage our life and manage our world better than what we have done in the past. This view is so powerful and so persuasive that it's to varying degrees indoctrinated most people. To such a degree that it's indoctrinated that one can find it hard to look and think and believe and live otherwise. One can be so indoctrinated that one adopts the view as a parent that one's great task in life is to provide for one's child the kind of education which will impregnate to the child as much knowledge and information as efficiently and as effectively as possible to give the child, as it were, the best chance of getting on in the world. <coughs> so powerful is this indoctrination that education and qualifications makes people feel superior to those who lack them, that the adoration of power and wealth and influence through person's use of his brain, his or her cutting edge, his or her determination to get on, because they've used their mind in a certain way which is expresses some ability to influence, to shape, to manage, to control, to direct. And we have become infatuated with this view. We have gone throughout this world and undermined actively numerous other cultures. We have effe effectively persuaded them to adopt our model of education, our value system, our way of thinking, and that young people throughout this world have come to believe that that's the priority, often taking away their leisure, their love and enthusiasm for playfulness, because of school, because of homework, because of examinations, 
and we go along blithely and blindly along with all of this, year in, year out, not knowing that it's an indoctrination as tyrannical as any other that's ever haunted the earth. Our sense of self-worth gets determined by our success in, our, in what we do, in what we achieve, measured by uh, what our peers and superiors think of us. And it's like a shadow which runs across the brains of human beings with unquestioning obedience and with unquestioning conformity we have adopted it, identified with it and there's barely a whisper of protest about it. So fierce and strong is this indoctrination that we've almost given up hope that there could be another way of looking at this world and looking specifically at the relationship to the mind, to knowledge, to the brain. Life gets brutalized through this, in which the license for more knowledge is given regardless of ethic, regardless of the consequences, in which everything becomes subservient to the pursuit and acquisition of knowledge. And in a way, we hear a great deal and, and various things give us pause for reflection in life and we know the extraordinary extent of knowledge, the potency of it to know, to comprehend, to be able to define, to be able to uh, explain or whatever. Just a few days ago I made a, a call to uh, uh, Europe, to Sweden, and I commented to uh, my friend on the uh, other end of the line, I said to him, <coughs> it's like you and I are sitting in a chair talking to each other. The quality of the voice was quite extraordinary. That there could be, whatever the distance might be, 6,000 kilometers, 4,000 miles distance. And he said, well, they've recently have laid in the last year or so new fiber optic cables under the Atlantic. And as a result of this, it's that crystal clear as the signal passes down the line. And it is an extraordinary thing that you know, takes place in communication. Human beings can communicate with each other. Some of you will be familiar, at least in this from the media and maybe from use of internet and a huge network of phenomenal amount of information traveling down the, the wires. People putting their mind to work uh, which can, as it were, bypass governments which can go from one country to the other in just the pressing of a few buttons. And all that was just, you know, extraordinary. And so a kind of different kind of world of knowledge begins to get revealed and passed between human beings. But there's always a kind of nagging doubt in all of this as one gets tuned into another world and links up and connects with it. Is it in fact serving the real deep interests of human beings, this, as someone commented in a meeting today, the mapping that's going on? 
Or is it that as we get more and more involved in all of that, our brain gets more and more so-called sophisticated and knowledgeable, in fact, it's removing us from something. That there's a very heavy price that human beings are paying, that we are paying in this uh, love affair with knowledge, in this obsession with knowledge, this addiction to knowledge, this pursuit of it, and all the ways that it manifests in our life. They take internet as a as a as an example of tremendous co- cooperation and coordination, and yet are we getting in t- out of touch with the earth, with each other, and a vibrational human personal level, with our local community, with uh, the sky and the earth and the trees and the flowers and all that makes life profoundly awesome if not incomprehensible. And that is there a danger in our connecting we become deeply disconnected and our life gets reduced to the screen. To the screen. I heard of one philosopher, I think in, in, in California, where else? And I'm not sure if it's a true story or whether, whether it's not. You know, you hear things on the gossip line, you know, in chai shops in India or in, in tea shops in South Devon. And you can't remember if it was, a, you know, a possibility or a fact. And, I, and this is one of those uh, uh, examples of a uh, philosopher or, or a writer who, in research into computers, that he, working so much on computers, came to the view, which apparently put him under um, heavy um, medication, (laughs) came to the view that there was a huge computer out there in space, (laughs) and that all these computers in our homes all over this planet was, in fact, the advanced guard of the major computer which was planting them everywhere in people's homes and offices and factories as the first step to take over the earth. And that under the guise that we were controlling our computer, in fact the computer actually had us. And that it was a way of drawing us away from the earth and then gradually be sucked into the (laughs) stratosphere and, and... and he became so convinced of this view that he had to go and see the psychiatrist for some uh, medication. <laughs> and I rather had, a, I may say, a reminder of this uh, th- this week, because um, for the past uh, five uh, years, those of you who know anything about the computers, I've been using a um, uh, Toshiba floppy disk drive computer without a hard disk, you know, when I would ring up the local computer shop and the young guy who's 21 years old would say, well, what computer have you got? And I said, well, it's a Toshiba floppy disk drive, no hard disk in it, just floppy disk. He said, oh, yeah, I remember those. <laughs> they haven't been around for a long time. I felt like I had a Ford 8 or something in the computer world. And so 
th this week, which I'm now passing on to, to Shada, by the way. So, <laughs> so this, this uh, week on my visit here, because computers are much, much cheaper here than they are in um, the land of your poor cousins, that um, I g got um, um, another uh, computer, the last one said, well, f you know, if I may say, five books on it and, uh, and at least six, eight hundred letters a year, etc., etc. And I got a new computer and uh, it's got Windows on it and etc., etc. And Microsoft and uh, a guy has been very kindly after breakfast in the morning giving me some uh, uh, instruction how to use this and it all relates a little bit to the incomprehensible. <laughs> Because you know, when I turned it on, it said from some English actor, um, remember, may the force be with you. And this, <laughs> the first thing that came out of the screen. And the, the way that I interpreted this was that um, Bill Gates was you know, saying to everybody, this is your last chance to stay with the truth <laughs> because now you're going to get totally lost in computers. <laughs> so may the force be with you is kind of good luck when you start this machine. <laughs> so sometimes we, we enter into a new area and field of knowledge and, and it's all incomprehensible to us and then through interaction and communication etc. the incomprehensible becomes comprehensible. And we see this movement in our life, as I say, going on in various circumstances. But what's noticeable for us in all of that movement that goes uh, on is that it's the pursuit of knowledge. This passion, in the best use of the word, this addiction in the most unsatisfactory uh, use of the pursuit of knowledge, grabs our brain, it grabs our mind and we become impressed with it with others and we become impressed with it in ourselves or we feel we don't know, we're stupid, we're, we can't learn, we can't remember, we can't comprehend and we move in a world of language, knowledge and the interpretation of it. And some people do have, to their credit of course and to their training, the capacity to comprehend in the world of knowledge, are able to follow specifically and precisely the movement of knowledge from A through to B, <coughs> and necessary and appropriate and as valuable as it is. But in all of that particularization and specialization of the mind's wish to comprehend and a lifelong work to comprehend, perhaps we're missing much else. Much else. And we struggle to make sense of. We enter into dissertations, we enter into putting books out, we enter into writing, we enter into the accumulating of a, of a resume, a CV or whatever. And it's all part of the love of the brain, in a way, the love of the mind. But all of that knowledge, which must, must be looked at, at the ethic of it, the value of it, 
the usefulness of it, the validity of it, has another relationship to the area of living. And that's what I want to bring in with you a little this evening. Knowledge has a relationship, and that relationship is to three areas of life, and knowledge without those three areas uh, isn't really knowledge. One is the intention, one is the action, and one is the result. The intention, the action, and the result. And the welfare of the human being is wrapped up in that movement. What the intention is, what the action is, and what the result is. The judgment of life for or against likes or dislikes, approval or disapproval, whether it's with uh, incredible excitement or incredible uh, anger and hatred and revenge or whatever. All of this somehow is linked up and feeds into the relationship that you and I have with ourselves or with others of either intention or the action or the result. You can't think of a situation which doesn't embrace it. Think of anybody that you've been really upset with. Why? You're upset with their intention or you're upset with their action, what they're doing or not doing, or the result that comes. One looks at anything of one's own life, which one is pleased with or displeased with, which one is engaged in praise with or blame with, here or there. In all of that, it's indistinguishable from the movement of intention, the movement of action, and the movement of result. And of course, in the result, which is isolation, that result influences what the intention that follows on from it is, one way or the other. For some, it's the result has come, what one has perceived as a result has come. And then, for some, according to the tendency, there's a result, and one says, oh, I can't do it, I'm a failure, no good, and despair sets in, and uh, a period of time of insecurity or uncertainty or unwillingness, feeling stuck, not knowing what the purpose is, not knowing where the life is, or whatever, and kind of hopefully gradually coming back together again in some new sequence of intention, action and result. Or for another human being, the result may come, it's not good enough, I could do better than this, and from that interpretation one is driven, driven through the force of conditioning into new intentions, new actions, and new results. The life, the interpretation of life, the definition of life, the explanation of life, the conclusion of life is bound up in this circle of intention, action and results. To the degree we think this is what life is, we've comprehended what life is, that's it. We're preoccupied, fascinated, blinded, obscured, infatuated, caught up with this as life. And it ain't, actually. It seems incomprehensible. It ain't. If one takes any one of those three, we take intention, it can seem, oh, I have this intention in life. 
and you can see, yes, I have this intention, and from my intention I do this. Quite often, of course, you and I forget the original intention, and we just get into the habit of doing it. Sometimes, when we're out of touch with ourselves, we forget that the intention has changed. Shada and I have a friend who's studying at Harvard Medical School. Now there's a place which needs some awareness. <laughs> and one of his concerns is, is the intention that people have in adopting that particular profession. Part of the concern is, is the intention actually to relieve suffering? Or has the intention, either at the very beginning or during the period of time, actually become a way of acquiring a very substi substantial salary and a very substantial degree of prestige in the local community? And that that motive, that intention, has actually become a primary intention. And the original compassionate spirit of being the physician, and Dharma teaches in a way, role of being a, a spiritual physician in, in many respects, that being that somehow has got lost, it's got corrupted, that uh, necessary original spirit. Keeping in touch with ourselves, therefore, in our looking at ourselves and our intention, is knowing what our intention is, which may change according to conditions in time. We can't necessarily rely on the past. But what is, this in, what is this phenomena of an intention? What is this? Is there such a thing as an intention? One might say, what time is it? 7.50 in the evening, 20 minutes ago, Approximately, I uh, walked in here, I sat down, and one could say, oh, he, the Christopher, has the intention of giving a talk. The intention's going out, and the result, well, we'll see. <laughs> and it looks fairly self-evident of what's happening. But at which point is there the intention? Was it? walking over here. I can't remember anything about having any intention. Was it the moment that I sat down? Was it the moment that I spoke? Is the intention working at this moment? Where? There's just a sensation in the body at the moment. Voice seems to be coming out of the organism here. There's a few uh, pleasant feelings going on. The eye is catching the presence of you. I'm hearing the man's voice come out of the mouth. Where, where, <laughs> you may not think so, but I am. Where, where's, where's the intention? Where's the intention? Is there such a thing as an, as an intention? So, unexamined, unexplored, it seems like there is a, an intention. When actually bring some investigation to it, can't see where the point, where the intention is. Where is it beginning? Where is the middle of it? Where's, where is the end of it? Similarly, in, in action that we do. 
So this idea which takes place, the idea manifests in this, in this world, and in this idea of action taking place, the action appears. Oh, he's speaking. Words are coming out of the mouth, for sure. Passing through the air, passing around the ears, sometimes with luck inside of them. <laughs> and that's going, is that action? Is that a real action? Am I really engaged in doing something? And what's the result? What's the, what's the result? Is the result while I'm talking to you? Is the result in the middle of it? Is the end? What is the result? One thought can say, oh, that was a good talk. Another thought, how long is the talk going to go on for? Out of the same mind, which is the result? So when actually looking, what is this extraordinary phenomena which we call intention, action and result, yet I can't quite get to it. I can't quite get my hand on where the intention is. I can't get my hand on my mind where the action is. And I can't get my mind around the, the result. And I certainly can't get my mind around the result when one has 50 people in the room and 500 different minds every 10 minutes. And yet somehow, the intention, action, result has mattered so much that I'll suffer over it. That which I can't lay my hands on, which is empty of any self-existence, I can't really get a hold of at any point, yet I'll suffer over what I can't really find. can't really find it. What is this incomprehensible nature that we are living in? When the obvious is only obvious if we don't want to look. If we want to look, it can't be any more so obvious. But if we don't want to look, and we can live in a world of assumption, oh, we can suffer into eternity with this assumption that there is intention, there is action, there is result, it is the true reality, this is the life, there is absolutely nothing else. And we can convince ourselves and our children and our society and the rest of the earth that's the reality. Why? We're too lazy to examine. Too lazy to, to look, to bring in some, the, the, to have the faith to doubt. Can't get our fingers on it. In that one says, this world, which I think I comprehend, which I think I know, which I think my mind has really told me a lot about, maybe I'm deceiving myself. Maybe I'm cheating myself and cheating others if I really think that the mind is going to tell me what the truth is. Maybe I'm going to be humbled that my mind is not the instrument 
to know what life actually is. It's only an instrument for, for an interpretation of it which I have conceived of and I have felt to be and I have believed to be is nothing but intention, action and result. Birth and death, coming and going, success and failure, praise and blame, struggle and ease, because all of that is in that intention, action and result because it's unexamined. One says, Oh, I hear these teachings on ultimate nature, on the realization of the incomprehensible. But Christopher, one can't live that way. One can't live abiding in the incomprehensible. One will become a vegetable or, or just drift around the world from one retreat to the next because <laughs> it's the only place where one can be accepted because one is utterly incomprehensible. But one might say equally, is living in a world of such identification and belief in intention, action and result as the supreme truth of life. Living like that, is that comprehensible? The suffering, the anguish, the conflict, the hatred, the violence, the greed, the aggression, the deception, the delusion, the indoctrination, the, the abuse, Shouldn't we ought to be saying, we can't live like that? Not saying we can't live with the incomprehensible and the deep spiritual dimension of it, but saying we can't go on living like that, in that indoctrination of intention, action, result, the obsession with knowledge, and all the widespread ramifications and consequences. That has to change. What does that mean? It means the view has to change. And sometimes, as some of you have said to me and others, sometimes when one starts examining what one is doing with one's life and the, and the solidification of that which it cannot be solidified, intention, action, result, the solidification of that, that when one starts to shake that, it's scary. It's scary. Why? Because one is shaking the whole assumed formation of one's existence. And that's scary. Because it's bound up with those three things I've been speaking about. And is it any wonder that the teachings have said those who live in intention, action and, re and result are in fact living on a treadmill which goes round and round and round and round and round. It's called samsara. It's the wandering on from one thing to the other. And what is the one thing to another? Intention, action, result, intention, action, result. Round and round in that, as though that's where the truth is. Why? Unlooked into. Unquestioned. And the mind forms its existence on that position. And knowledge, as I say, has a significant feature in that relationship. And therefore, in these terms, one who knows a lot knows nothing worth knowing. One who knows a lot, a lot 
one has got so many letters before and after his name and all of that, if one thinks that matters, knows nothing. It's just for talk. It's just letters. A, B, C, D, E, L, right through, as you would be, in England we say Z, you would say Z, and it's just a little various combination of these letters. Of what relevance of all these letters combined into millions of words before, after, and during one's name, what on earth has that got to do with reality? One's got to be that ruthless with it. It's just for convention. Just for everyday mind. And it's not actually everyday mind, it's everyday certain mind. Everyday mind in the office. Everyday mind in the factory. Everyday mind in the CV. Everyday mind in the uh, corporate world. Everyday mind in the school. Go to some other places and parts of the world. I can carry all the CVs, resumes under the sun. Don't mean a thing. It's just letters, various combinations. And we're, in, we're mad about them. Mad. Hence, Microsoft. <laughs> Sorry about that, guys. <laughs> Hence, the schools that we've got. So the relationship to all of that must become, in a genuine way, some expression, not of being lost in, but in some genuine understanding that all of this, knowledge, intention, action, result, is in fact the most outer level of something more profound and deep. In the ordinary world, Western world or whatever, all of that has its place. Of course it does. And you and I are beneficiaries of that, potentially. But as I said at the beginning, the same thing which serves our purpose can be the same thing which destroys our life. Are we lost in it? Or is it our servant? Our tool? Or is what the man said who needed medication got some element of truth in it? We've escaped into because we're afraid to touch the incomprehensible. Therefore, we've lost ourselves. And there is a danger of it. It is, it is a genuine danger. Television has done that dramatically. Dramatically. Highest viewing rate in the world is in which country? US of A. Average, average, average member. 24 hours a week of watching television. One full day a week. Ten years in 70. Plus the computer screen. Plus the cinema screen. All valid, useful, beneficial, worthwhile, workable, but surely not to the degree that it cuts us off from something deep, profound and incomprehensible. If we have a sense that it is, we have got some serious examination to do of ourselves which has to be taken as seriously as if one was an alcoholic, if one was a junkie, if one was caught up in uh, uh, obsession with gambling or whatever. We have to treat that as great an addiction. 
because it's just as painful, just as isolating, and just as removed from that profound, incomprehensible nature of existence, which we are here to realize and be with, because we pay the greatest respect to life through that. Earlier on, Stan gave me uh, a, uh, a poem which was uh, printed one by uh, here, and it's the verses on the faith mind by Seng San. Some of you will uh, be familiar with this. It's a Chinese um, uh, poem from the uh, uh, third patriarch of China, and written absolutely donkeys years ago. The great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences. Where it's got love and hate, it's not actually. Where intense liking and intense and hatred are both absent, everything becomes clear and undisguised. Make the smallest distinction, however, and heaven and earth are set infinitely apart. If you wish to see the truth, then hold no opinions for or against anything. To set up what you like against what you dislike is the disease of the mind. When the deep meaning of things is not understood, the mind's essential peace is disturbed to no avail. The Great Way, another term for incomprehensible, another term for Buddha nature, another term for God, another term for truth, another term for uh, process, the expanse, the rhythm of life. Rhythm of life so vast, so profound and so deep, it accommodates all. Since it accommodates all, it accommodates the brain, it accommodates the outcomes of the brain, internet, the uh, the world of computer technology, the world of knowledge and information. If we get into a reactive mode towards it, in some absolute term, absolute dismissal of it, we, in a way, without realizing it, have set heaven and earth apart. Therefore, the reaction against only makes a separation in life, it makes a dualism in life. Tendency of life can be through conditioning only that we find ourselves preoccupied with the comprehensible at the expense of the great way, at the expense of the incomprehensible, at the expense of Buddha nature, at the expense of God. So when we say, yes, the brain and all of its outflows has its place in the world, of course it does. It's all mystical. It's all mysterious. Those of us who have no knowledge of these things in working these machines, I find it absolutely extraordinary. You press these buttons and it's got information and answers to everything. Answers to questions I didn't even know I had till I switched the machine on. <laughs> and you think, what is it that the mind is able to place all of this into one small machine which weighs eight pounds less? 
one must pay tribute to the human mind's capacity to people to work together. Guy was telling me 18 people have worked together on programming, 18 or 80, I think it was, day in, day out, putting this together to make it simple and clear and relevant and useful for people in their homes. It is, it is phenomenal what the mind can do. Just to throw it out, to become anti that, I think is narrow-minded and makes the divisiveness. But the dangers of being lost in it, becoming a whole life. How do we know it's becoming our whole life? Worrying over it, agitated about it, caught up in intention, action and result, and making too much of something. Therefore our way of being is to say, as the, the, the uh, patriarch uh, says, when intense liking and hate are both absent, everything becomes clear and undisguised. Make the smallest distinction, however, and heaven and earth are set infinitely apart. If you wish to see the truth, then hold no opinions for or against anything. To set up what you like against what you dislike is the disease of the mind. When the deep meaning of things is not understood, the mind's essential peace is, is disturbed to no avail. So our expansive awareness, our choiceless awarenesses, our open awarenesses that we've been exploring here to together is the awareness that accommodates all. And what is all? is the view of intention, action and result. That accommodation of all of that, that capacity to accommodate, that capacity to include, to embrace, I say this is incomprehensible. That the human heart and consciousness has the capacity to accommodate, to acknowledge, to be receptive to, to feel the mystery of everything on this earth above and below us. That we are not just conditioned creatures. We are not just products of our culture and our society. We can be far greater than that in a way which our body can never really tell us, because our body says, well, I'm so small in a whole mass of humanity. Yet, when we don't have the body as the reference point, extraordinary thing. It's incomprehensible that we can be so free in amidst this world which appears like it's one of intention, action and result. And that's what the teachings point to. Point to the finding truth in life. The nature of things in life, the great way to be with God. May all beings live with awareness. May all beings live in peace. May all beings live in harmony.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.